0: Now we'll shift to talking about something else, which is about how elections are conducted in New York State and also in New York City. Uh, let's go back to 2014, Ben. Gubernatorial election. There are 10 parties on the ballot there is the Democratic, the Working Families, Independence, Women's Equality, Republican, Conservative, Stop Common Core, Green, Libertarian, and Sapient. 10 parties, but only Six candidates. And that's because Andrew Cuomo was the nominee of the Democratic (laughs) Working Families Independence and Women's Equality Party. And Rob Astorino was the pick of Republican conservative Stop Common Core. That is fusion voting. And that's been a part of our democracy for quite some time here in New York.
1: Yeah, and it's now being hotly debated as this commission has been put together by Governor Cuomo and the state legislature when they could not agree on a new campaign finance reform system in this past legislative session. What they did agree to do was to empanel a commission to come up with binding decisions around a new campaign finance system for the state, which is due by December 1st. Unless the state legislature comes back within three weeks after that, so basically by Christmas, and overrides whatever the the commission puts forward. So that's where we're at. But fusion voting was snuck into the language that that was passed, uh, basically at the behest of Governor Cuomo, all all indications are. And the legislative leaders went along with it because they wanted to get this deal done. It's part of this big package that happens in Albany. And now we have a situation where this campaign finance reform commission is – dealing with campaign finance reform, a huge, complicated topic, but the question of whether it will try to eliminate fusion voting, and there's an argument about whether it even can do that, is now overshadowing that other work.
0: So let's bring on our second guest. This is Stanley Fritz, who is the political director at at Citizen Action New York. Stan, welcome to Max and Murphy.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Happy Wednesday.
0: Happy Wednesday to you, too. Let's go back to the spring, to the discussions around uh, the discussions around campaign finance and public financing. And when that was occurring, did you anticipate that come this fall, come today, we'd be having a debate about fusion voting?
2: <laughs> no, no. Uh, fusion voting wasn't even on the table. And I, I want to take a second to thank all the elected leaders who really stepped up and came out in support of a publicly financed system and a six-to-one match. Um, because, you know, like, when you, when you support something like that, you also support the prospect that you may have more people running against you. And that takes bravery. So for folks to step out on a ledge like that, and then all of a sudden, at the 11th hour, fusion voting, something that no one was talking about, got, gets shoehorned in, it's just really frustrating.
1: So tell us why fusion voting should exist in New York.
2: Well, fusion voting should exist because if we want to have legitimate third parties that people can feel comfortable voting for and not be afraid of playing the spoiler, then that gives us the option. Because all of a sudden, you go from having to vote for someone who might take away votes from the Democratic majority or the Republican majority to all of a sudden having someone that can vote for a candidate, and it shows under two lines. A fusion vote gives a voter a chance to make two statements. A statement about the issues they care about. And a statement about the candidate they want to support. Fusion voting is really important, and it, helps, it supports a process that makes the electoral process more democratic.
0: So the argument against it, of course, is that it 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 gives uh, some candidates, you know, multiple bites at the apple. Um, it uh, you know does not. It, it has you know. It appears to kind of provide fewer choices, even on on more ballot lines. Um, And obviously some third parties, like the Green Party, don't do fusion voting. It's as kind of a a principle, a matter of principle, that they feel that the way way for a third party to influence the system is to provide an an actual um, alternative. Uh, What do you think about those arguments? Well,
2: you know, I want to be forthright and say, you know, no matter what you're dealing with, you're always going to have a system with some flaws. I would disagree with the fact that it reduces the options, because when you have legitimate third parties like the Working and Families Party, it creates an opportunity to run a real campaign under a party that's respected. And you know, just the fact of the matter is, if we're looking at things that stifle people from voting or stifle democracy, fusion voting isn't it. If we're looking for a way to make sure that we're taking corruption out of politics, we could reduce campaign contributions, or we could completely close the LLC loophole. Fusion voting is not something that's absolutely or even remotely damaging the electoral process or stopping good candidates from running and winning office. It's just something that has allowed third-party groups, most recently from the progressive side, to hold Democrats and establishing Democrats accountable and push them further left on issues they may not have moved on.
1: Is your is your sort of um, toolbox for pushing them left this I, this threat that you would put someone on the Working Families Party ballot line to challenge them in the general election from the left and take votes away from them um, and and sort of convince them to come along more with a platform that you approve of so that they can have that Working Families Party ballot line? Is that, I mean, that's sort of the, the key tool in the toolbox here?
2: I mean, that's part of it. But the the major part of it, honestly, if you're asking me, is that it allows, so when you have establishment Democrats or Democrats who are just working in bad faith. We'll use Jeff Klein in this instance. Um, you know, some folks might disagree, but he was someone who was conferencing with the Republicans. The Democratic Party wasn't necessarily going to tell him that he couldn't run on that ballot. But we had to get someone to replace him so that we can actually get a Democratic majority. And a working families party was able to work with activists on the ground, identify good candidates that could run for office, and could actually seriously put up a race and go on both ballot lines.
1: I guess. And- I guess one question I would have is what... What what couldn't you do? I mean, you know, there's so many aspects of what the Working Families Party does that could be done fusion voting or no fusion voting. Right. I mean, I'm I'm wondering, you know, is there anything that the Working Families Party can't do? Is it really is it is the key to having that ballot line and being able to use it in a fusion sense is the real key to sort of having a significant impact electorally? Because, you know the Working Families Party could identify candidates to challenge Jeff Klein or other Democrats, you know, without having a ballot line to offer, right?
2: Yeah. Well, a couple of things there. So one in New York state, the races happen in the primaries turnout significantly drops during the general election. So that already hurts the opportunity to reach a larger electorate. And these, these third party groups, we don't have the money that the democratic party or the Republican party has to just be able to pump, you know, funnel out candidates and then also pump out money to, to raise turnout. So that's the first piece, and I think it's an important piece.
1: But you don't play in the primary. The primary is just the Democratic primary.
2: No, but we can also support somebody. We can be supporting a working families party candidate who's also running in a Democratic primary. So, sure. like, it gives a chance to build that base. And then secondly, you know, I think another piece that's really important is that it gives folks an opportunity who maybe they don't identify as a Democrat or a Republican. But well, they want to be engaged in those races, it gives them a chance to be engaged, especially if there's a candidate who has been supported by Working Families Party, but it's also under the Democratic line that they can still vote for.
0: Does the proliferation of third parties that engage in fusion voting Kind of erode the argument for fusion voting. What I mean is that you know, Andrew, obviously, Andrew Cuomo famously created the work the Women's Equality Party um, yeah. to kind of you know dilute the 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 importance of the Working Families Party when he was running for re-election in 2014. Yeah. You have the Independence Party, which. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, it is assumed that many voters do not really know what the Independence Party stands for on a, in terms of a policy platform. But Independence sounds like something we all aspire to. Um, so you have, you know, not just report, not just voters sending a signal that they support uh, Andrew Cuomo not on the Democratic line, but but they have now multiple lines to to choose from, and that that does sort of create a kind of muddled message from voters, doesn't it?
2: No, I don't think so. I think that on the occasions where you've had these third-party groups that pop up and it's very clear that they're in bad faith or it's not a serious party, they eventually fall to the wayside. I think a perfect example of that is the Women's Equality Party. Um, that, you know, anyone who was taking New York State politics seriously understands the Women's Equality Party was Governor Cuomo's hail married to undermine the working families party and also pushed in the gym that said he was pro-woman. And then... He he and the folks who were involved in that didn't put the kind of effort or work in to sustain that party or really build that base. Whereas groups like the Working Families Party are actively building the base, recruiting people, making sure that we're having folks on that ballot who deserve to be there and having serious conversations about it. I think the systems we have in place to make sure these groups are keeping on a level are working. And, you know, let's not forget just one second that this is supposed to be a conversation about campaign finance reform. And we can't even have a serious conversation about what a 6-1 match could and should look like in New York State because the governor has slipped this unnecessary conversation into the stratosphere and distracted all of us.
1: Right. So so that's a very important point. And, uh, you know, in introductory remarks here, I tried to frame it a little bit that way. But that is a key piece here is that, you know, this this issue of fusion voting being pushed into the conversation is absolutely – uh, a distraction from campaign finance reform, which is a much bigger endeavor, very complicated, doesn't have much precedence in New York State. Obviously, there's the New York City system that could be a model, but you know, a statewide system um, hasn't existed, and so this fusion voting question is a is a big um, sort of. Cloud hanging over this commission's work. So that point, you know, taken as we discuss fusion voting here on the merits, um, it is important to note that this has become all tangled up with the campaign finance reform question, seemingly because the governor wanted it to be, um, but it didn't have to be, and it could have been discussed on the merits separately. So that that point is very well taken. Um, Thank you. But uh, I want to ask you about sort of this decision, um, which obviously was explained at the time, but it gets back to this question of fusion voting, which was a decision where w- the WFP announced the the backing of Cynthia Nixon for governor and Jamani Williams for lieutenant governor last year, which obviously raised Governor Cuomo's ire um, to the point where, where we're seeing what we're seeing now, but announced the support for them, endorsed them, but then ultimately Gave the ballot line to Governor Cuomo and Kathy Hochul, Lieutenant Governor Hochul, after the Democratic primary results. So Governor Cuomo and Lieutenant Governor Hochul appear on the WFP ballot line in the general election. I, I am always wrestling with that given that, you know, the w, if, if the WFP is a political party and it chooses candidates for certain offices, how do you then abandon those candidates before they ever receive any votes on the WFP ballot line?
2: You know, that's a fair question. Um, personally, I feel like the governor and the lieutenant governor won the primary fair and square, and it's just the right thing to do to step out of the space and allow those two candidates to, you know, to run their race in general. And, you know, the governor won by a sizable amount, so we want, I think, it made sense for folks to respect that. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I think that we have to have a deeper conversation about what that looks like, and that's fair criticism. But I don't think, like, that piece alone is our argument to give it a fusion.
0: Right, because I think, I mean, maybe this goes into kind of, like, digging into the, the strategic Questions and calculations facing a third party in New York State, obviously, there are the principles you have there 's the question about whether you want to uh, challenge a sitting politician who is almost certain to win, uh, whether you want to indicate that voters who support that person are are uh, uh, supporting a particular set of of beliefs and, and want to push them left, and also you have to get a certain number of votes to maintain. Your ballot line. I mean, the WFP, you know, supported Jeff Klein in 2012 after he had broken from the main caucus and started the IDC because yeah. no, no one else was out there. He, he was, Klein was endorsed by every party that year, including WFP. So there's, there's it's a very complicated set of, of reasoning that, that you, the party has to go through before they decide who to pick.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's another endorsement that happened um, this past election season, where AOC, where we, the Working Families Party, endorsed Joe Kali, you know? Um, <laughs> in hindsight, AOC was 1,000% with us on all the issues. That's the decision that, you know, we made, and there was a calculus behind that, and there was a thought process, and, like, the folks made that decision.
1: Well, a key but, a key like, part of the Working Families Party approach, right, is is pushing hard left but also being very pragmatic, and that is yeah. where, you know, there's a bit of a rub, and we saw this even with the WFP deciding to endorse Elizabeth Warren in the presidential primary over Bernie Sanders, um, where folks, you know, sort of brought that back up as a criticism that the WFP is not quite pure enough. Um, but those that interesting the criticism. Yeah. Say more. I tried to cut
0: you uh, off. Yeah. No, you know, no. It's, it's so the, I, I
2: you know my role as a political director as to the nation of New York is to be accountable and to provide support. And leadership to the base and we have to enter to the base and respect their decisions. The Working Families Party base endorsed Elizabeth Warren, who on the merits is an outstanding candidate. You know, I don't think you could have gone wrong with either her or Bernie. And, and folks and all of a sudden because WFP has gone with Elizabeth Warren, we've seen just some disgusting attacks at the staff there. But then also folks are now talking about Elizabeth Warren as if she, she's a second coming of Joe Biden as far as as far as politics goes. And that's just that's not a sign of WFP not being there. That's just a sign of people, I think, doing a circle of firing this when it comes to real issues that will help real
0: people. I think that's malarkey. That's what Biden would call it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: like that word, yeah.
0: <laughs> Since WFP is pragmatic, let's talk pragmatically about next steps. Let's say that the commission comes down and decides that, that they, in fact, do want to get rid of fusion voting, and they pair that with an excellent, plan for a public financing system that meets all your dreams and all WFP would like to see in in this state which has at this point such a terrible system when it comes down to that if December rolls around is WFP's recommendation to lawmakers to reject that package because losing fusion voting would be uh, such a death knell to, to your approach to progressivism how, how are you guys going to balance that?
2: So I'll give you an answer you don't like, and I'll also give you a personal answer if you like. (laughs) I haven't been a part of those conversations yet, so I'm not sure, so I don't want to lie to you guys. For me personally, as Stanley Fritz, I I wouldn't want that deal. You know, like fusion voting and a six-to-one match is what you need in order for working people and people of color and women to run for office and have a viable shot. I think that what we're trying to do is expand the tool set, the toolkit for regular folks to run for office so that they don't have to be intimidated, influenced, or pressured by big business, the real estate board, or anyone else like that. So don't give us one piece of the tools kit and then take out the wrench or the screwdriver because that's not helping. That's just keeping us in the same place.
1: And uh just in terms of, of the future for for the WFP as well, are there um are there are there thoughts that you're having as this fusion voting, um, you know, sort of discussion unfolds about whether the WFP should on occasion run its own, you know, its own candidate um, in a general election? I mean, it happens so rarely. Um, and I think that's some of where, you know, the the Green Party obviously sets itself aside doing that. The Conservative Party does much more of the cross endorsing under fusion voting. Um sure. You know, is that something that the the party should think about, you know, do you think, or are you having some internal conversations around that because that could show the teeth of fusion voting and the importance of, of keeping it more?
2: Well, I'm setting myself up because I don't have a, an answer at this moment for what I'm about to say, but that's already happened. Um it doesn't happen in New York City as much and maybe we should be having discussions about like when and how we should be doing that. But not not the Westchester, especially in places where Democrats tend to have to be more conservative because of the base. So that progressive wing of folks, they they, they don't have such an easy pathway to getting elected. That happens, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why the Working Families Party is important. Because in the area county where you have in Buffalo, let me say in Buffalo, because I'm not sure the exact county, but you, Buffalo, where you have a sheriff who was at a neo-Nazi march and is a huge Trump supporter, when like that person can, can get elected into office easily you're probably not going to want to skirt too far to the left if you're an establishment Democrat in that region. So you need a space where people who are, you know, as my dad would say, God-hitting liberals, even though I'm not any of those things, um, and, like, who really want to, like, shift the system and the conversation can run for office and have support and in infrastructure.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Stan Fritz, we're going to have to leave it there, but we appreciate you mm-hmm. coming on to talk Fusion Voting and some other things with us. Obviously, in Action and um, the WFP Wants to see, um, you know, a robust public campaign finance system put into place by this commission, and fusion voting laid aside for the future. And there obviously also are some court uh, court battles uh, ongoing and perhaps ahead, depending on what uh, transpires here. So we'll be watching all that. We appreciate the time, Stan Fritz of Citizen Action and the WFP. Thanks for joining us here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we would be remiss as the city's premier political discussion show, at least the best one on at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays, <laughs> to uh, to end today's program without addressing some of the big political news locally in the past week, which was the end of uh, Mayor de Blasio's 2020 presidential run. Ben. didn't even
1: make it to 2020. <laughs> he yeah. did, he didn't. He felt and I don't even, I mean, I don't say that really, even in a mocking way. It just, you know, it was a very four month campaign. He got in late. He ended early. It was sort of a lot of sound and fury signifying something. something. Um, something. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, right. well, you, you've had some thought on this. You wrote uh, a good piece in city limits about, you know, five things that he should focus on now or can focus on now.
0: Yeah, my takeaway from the race was yeah, obviously he obviously didn't have a chance to win. It was not an especially impressive campaign. I don't know if it was any less impressive than the other like long shot candidates. I mean, it's kind of tough to run from the edges and you know, he got in some digs about the International Workers Bill of Rights. He, you know, I think the robot tax thing was fairly successful in our crazy news environment at commanding some policy news attention for a week or so from some respected outlets, not many people necessarily love. The idea, but people were at least talking about automation and its impacts, and that was helpful. Um, obviously, coming back to the city, a lot to be done, a lot of time left as mayor. Um, and, you know, how much political capital he has, I'm not sure now, partly because of this run. But it was interesting to see him come back and very quickly launch into the retirement security mm-hmm. thing, which is something that has been kind of in the air for a long time. But um, but that was that was an interesting thing to see. And, of course, NYCHA and we've had people on to talk about school segregation. There's some yeah. big tickets items Huge. out there. If you if you wanted to try to write a better legacy for yourself, you build a Blasio. There are chances to to try to do that.
1: He's got two years and three months and that's plenty of time even if the last six to eight months or even a year is mostly sort of tying things up and, you know, sort of ribbon cuttings and trying to, you know, get the last things, you know, really moving into their middle or final phases. You have a year plus here to really move ahead on some things. You can announce some things that aren't just your final year announcements where, you know, you have to rely on the next mayor to do all of it. Um, So there is so much that can be done, including deepening, implementing some of the things previously announced, really putting his, you know, nose to the ground on things like NYCHA in Fill development and some of these really tricky political things that he needs to pass if he really wants to get them done. He's got to get this Rikers closure, you know, closure plan through. There are many, many things for him to work on. He seems refocused. Perhaps that's just a bit of a show because he kind of comes home with his tail between his legs. But hopefully that continues. You know, he did jump into a bunch of sort of mayoral activities and policy announcements, and he seems a bit more active. We'll see where it goes. I think it would be fantastic if he got that out of his system and really focused on being the best mayor he can be for the next couple of years, I don't think he's going to turn down any offers to go, you know, dabble on the national stage as a surrogate or a talking head or something. I wish he would, but I don't think he will, but hopefully he'll still really figure out, as you said, that he's got a lot of opportunity to burnish his legacy here.
0: A lot for him to do a lot for us to talk about it. And we will talk about it here on WBAI. Thank you for joining us. Once again, the evening news will follow at six. We're on every Wednesday at 5. Until next week, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.